So today our focus is on what's wild or wilderness. And as we were pouring through the photographs, we considered uh, photographs of everything from African jungles to Sahara Desert to uh, the bottom of the ocean to the farthest reaches of space, saying, what is the experience of wild? And we came up with the entrance ramp to Mopac. Those of you who have been there know what I'm talking about. But part of it's so appropriate because, you know, sometimes when we think of the wild or, or wilderness, you know, we think you've got to cross an ocean. You know, that's out there. And some of us can't really relate to that out there. And, and really, if we're going to see Lent as an adventure into the wild, thinking that we have to go to the Sahara or, or we have to go into outer space or into the jungles, well, that's just not going to be happening for most of us. But this reminds us that what is wild for us is really a state of mind. It's a, a context for our life. Places that are wild, places that are the wilderness, are, are places where we are out of our comfort zone. They're places where there's adventure but also danger, thus the entrance ramp. The wild are those places where your standard operating procedures don't work where you're constantly having to, to be on your toes, to be looking around. You don't know what's coming next. It's a place of alertness and hopefully attentiveness. Thus the entrance ramp to Mopac. Wildness, the wilderness, is a Lenten experience. One that we hope that each and every one of you will embrace in the next six weeks to take that risk to step out of your comfort zone and to see what adventures God has in store for you in the wild. Now, fortunately, we don't have to be singular about this. We aren't the only ones doing this, and we're not the first. Our scripture reading today describes the story of Jesus' own embracing of wilderness and by studying Jesus experience we find guidance and encouragement and hope for our own Lenten journey into the wild now in our scripture reading there are three movements here that that just leap off the page that I want to focus on here and the first is that Jesus first experience out in the wild is one of blessing in the sacrament of baptism. Some of you have been on tourist uh, uh, trips and journeys to Israel. You've been to the Jordan. And, uh, raise your hand if you've been to the Jordan in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, several of you have been to the Jordan, right? Now it's kind of a touristy thing. It's fairly safe. It's kind of tame. But understand, back in Jesus' day, the Jordan really was really at the edge. It was at the edge of, of the Roman-occupied area. It was just outside of suburbia, if you will. And so it was a wilderness place in that transitional. That's why John could get away with saying and doing the things he did, because he was just outside of the Roman jurisdiction. It was the beginning of the wilderness. And Jesus' first experience in the wilderness is one of being claimed by God of being blessed by God, of having his identity confirmed by God 
of who he is, not just a carpenter's son from Nazareth, but indeed God's very own son. And there is no better place to start our own adventures in the wilderness than by claiming the blessing that God has for us in our own baptisms. Because it is in baptism where we claim God's covenant promises for us and where God claims us and marks us and identifies us that we are God's beloved children. That's who we learn who we are. Probably the most memorable baptism I ever got to participate in took place several years ago while I was pastoring a church up in North Carolina. Uh, the church I was pastoring had a, uh, a group home right around the corner where there were, I guess, 10, maybe 12 um, uh, young adult women who all had various physical and mental and emotional challenges, all living in this home, and they had a special connection to this church. When they wanted to build this home here in, in this neighborhood, a lot of the folks were very opposed to it, but the church spoke up in favor of it and helped get that house built. And, of course, lost a few members doing that, but it was the right thing to do. And so there was always this special relationship between this women's group home and the church. And they would come to the church for worship and, and participate in the life of the church, and the congregation just welcomed them all with open arms. It was a beautiful thing. One Sunday, one of the young women, Susan, who was in her eh, mid to late 20s, Susan had Down syndrome, she came up to me and she asked me if she could be baptized. And I was kind of surprised, because in Presbyterian churches, the vast majority of people get baptized as infants and as children. Um, but I asked her, have you never been baptized? And she said, no. And I said, well, is it okay if I talk to your parents about this? And she said, Sure. And so she told me uh, to call her father. Well, her father was a Southern Baptist pastor in town. And I was shocked to find that out because I thought, well, surely she's been baptized. Now, I want you to understand, he is not the bad guy in the story, okay? He was a delightful man. He was a wonderful, loving father to Susan. But when we talked, he said no, he had never baptized his daughter because she did not have the mental capacity to understand what was going on, and so therefore it was not worth baptizing her. Can you imagine that? And I said, well, you see, as Presbyterians, we have a different approach to baptism. We don't believe baptism is about us. It's about God. And who amongst us understands the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of God's love? That's why we call it grace, because it's not about what we understand or what we deserve or what we're worthy of. It's about this wonderful God who, though we are unworthy, reaches down to us to love us and to save us and to bless us in the waters of baptism. So I asked him, I said, would it be okay if we baptized Susan? And he said, sure. And so the Sunday came, and uh, she came forward, and after uh, thoroughly drenching her head three times with water, she looked up, and this huge smile came on her face, and she looked at the congregation, and she said, Jesus loves me. And I said, she gets it. What more do you need to know? Jesus loves me. Just as Jesus was confirmed in his identity in the waters of baptism as a beloved child of God, Susan came from the waters of baptism thoroughly knowing 
that she was a beloved child of God. And it is that blessing that God offers to each of us, not just through the waters of baptism, but in a myriad of ways, when we are willing to begin that wilderness journey, when we're willing to begin to, to set aside the world's agendas and our own preoccupations and to be with God in the wilderness. Now the second movement here is we're told that when Jesus comes out of the water, he immediately is sent into the world. That's actually kind of a weak uh, liter, uh, uh, translation of the word. The word that uh, the Bible there says sent is the same word that's used when Jesus is driving the demons out of people. So it's not so much that Jesus was given a polite invitation to enter the wilderness. Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. It was a compulsion. It was something that could not be ignored or put off to later. He was driven. Out. Now it's fascinating to me because after our baptism we go to brunch. But Jesus is driven to the wilderness. He's driven into the wilderness to be confronted by Satan, to be confronted by the, the illusions and the allure of worldly things. It is in this wilderness experience that Jesus has to wrestle with what is true, what is real, what is good, what is life-giving, what honors God? And what are the things of this world that are illusions? What are the, the, the popular fantasies that turn into nightmares? What are the things that are so transient and, 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 and they may glitter, but they're not worthy of our time and effort? And that's what those temptations were about. It's about Jesus getting real with God about what life is supposed to be about, about what His purpose in this world was, and about how He was going to honor God and honor that calling. Lent is the time, historically, that Christians set aside to wrestle with those very questions. The questions that haunt us, that tempt us, that titillate us, that, that drive us to distraction. We live in such a, 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 a busy, confusing world where we're always multitasking. We're, we're all just a little ADHD from here to there squirrel. And <laughs> And Lent is that time that we put that aside. It's that time that we let go of some of those other tasks. We let go of some of those other agendas, some of those other priorities, and we say, God, open my heart to what is true. Open my heart to what is real. Open my heart to you and to your purposes and your intent and your design for me. Um, some of you who are in scouting know that in Boy Scouts there is a honor society called Order of the Arrow. And I can't tell you all of it because, you know, the ceremonies are secret. <laughs> but I will tell you this. When you get tapped out, as they call it, you immediately go out into the wilderness by yourself. Nothing but your sleeping bag and your pocket knife. 
And while you spend time alone in the wilderness, in the dark, listening to the sounds of the forest at night, you are asked to reflect upon your scouting journey and what has led to this point and how you, as a part of the Order of the Arrow, are going to impact the lives of other scouts. What is the claim that scouting has upon you as a part of this society? That's all I'm going to say. But it's the same Lenten experience, and if it's good for the Boy Scouts, surely it's good for us as a church. I encourage you, don't be afraid to put a few things aside. Carve out that time. Now, you don't have to go out into your backyard with your sleeping bag, but if you want to, that's okay. Find a place, find a situation, find some time where you can reflect on where God has brought you in your faith journey to this point and how you will honor God in the future. Now, the third movement in this that I really want you to get and this is, this is maybe the most important part of this story, but it gets so overlooked. Right there at the end of verse 13, when Jesus is out in the wilderness, and it says, and angels attended to him. And angels attended to him. Friends, that is the good news of the gospel. That no matter where your longings take you, no matter where you find yourself in the wilderness of life, no matter how isolated, alone, forgotten, shoved aside, betrayed, disappointed, let down you may be, no matter how off track your life gets, no matter how your career crumbles, no matter how your ambitions and goals are not met, no matter what kind of bewildering, crazy, confusing situation you find yourself in this life, the angels are there to attend to you. Just as the song says that we sang a moment ago, God never gives up, never lets go, never runs out on us. Now, when we think of angels, we, we, uh, we tend to think of uh, the little cherubs and seraphim, you know, with the little cute little wings, and we all have pictures of cherubs in our bathrooms and things like that. That's not the kind of angels I think that, that we're talking about here. I think we're talking about angels that have a lot more flesh and blood than wings and halos. Angels come to us in the form of the friend who lets us cry on their shoulder. The stranger who out of nowhere offers us a compliment. The person who stops to help us change the tire in the middle of the night on the side of the road. The child who hugs our knees and who lets us know what love really is. Angels come to us in the form of other human beings all the time. But we are so busy with our lives, with our fears, our concerns, our agendas, and our ambitions, that we tend to miss it. Here's what I want to challenge you with. This Lent, as you are reflecting on your journey in Christ, 
as you enter into this wilderness experience where you're open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, be attentive, be aware, be alert for the angels that God sends into your life. And not only that, but ask, for whom are you an angel? For whom are you an angel? Into whose life are you being sent to be the bearer of good news, to be the encourager, to be the helper, to be the comforter, to lift them up when they can't stand on their own? Because I think God uses each and every one of us in just that way. Friends, we often are filled with anxiety, concern, we're scared. I know I am when I get on a Mopac. But what I want to tell you is that it's going to be okay. This Lent, don't be afraid to step out of the box, out of your comfort zone, out of standard operating procedure, and open yourself up to the wilderness experience where God can bless you and claim you and send his angels to minister to you. Amen.